Let's pray together. Holy Father, which hometown are we? The one that can hardly wait to get Jesus out of our midst. Or the one that sings, Give me Jesus. Oh God, let there be no confusion in this university and in this congregation. We humbly pray. Let us be your hometown for Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. I am dumbfounded at the rage of his friends and neighbors. (laughs) What is this? But I wonder out loud with you. If Jesus were to come home here today, would his reception be any different? I wonder. Let's do something a bit crazy and unorthodox. Are you in the mood for that? We might as well try it. I want to do this story backwards. Let's read the story backwards. Open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of St. Luke. The Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 4. Read it backwards. Danny, just read the Scripture a moment ago. I want to go back to it. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. I'm in the New International Version. Those of you watching on television, that will be the wording that you see on the screen. But whatever translation you brought, I'm just glad you brought your Bible. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. We'll read it backwards. Let's read verse 28 and then verse 29. Luke 4, 28. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. And they got up and they drove him out of the town and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. There are two ways I hope I never die. I do not want to die by drowning. I've nearly drowned twice in my life, once as a little kid and then once as a teenager. I do not want to die by drowning. Nor do I want to die by falling from a high place. PBS this week carried a very moving piece on the history of the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center. This television special culminated, as you would understand, on this anniversary of September 11, 2001. It culminated with the tragic destruction of those two towers by the terrorists. And then I saw some footage I have never seen before as I watched people jumping from those burning infernos and falling the hundreds of feet to their death at the ground below. I do not want to die by falling from a high place. 
And yet the very death, that is the very death, the friends and neighbors in a fit of explosive rage are attempting to bring on Jesus. Can you imagine that? I mean, we're talking about his neighbors. I don't know where you grew up as a kid, but I can picture in my mind, I know where I grew up. Can you, can you, can you wrap your mind around going back to where you grew up and the people celebrate your homecoming by trying to kill you? I mean, with, with neighbors like that, who needs enemies? They rush Jesus to the top of that, top of that high cliff Nazareth is perched upon, and then, solitary intent, they're gonna hurl him alive over the edge and onto the rocks far below, thinking that by splattering his young adult, adult body on those sharp stones, they are doing the will of Almighty God, Amen. And mind you, mind you, they did this instead of having a potluck after church. What's up with that? You want to find out what's up with it? Read the story backwards. Read it in reverse. Because you see, Jesus this morning has come home. And he's been invited to be their guest preacher. Hometown boy who made it big away from here. And so he gets up to preach. It was their invitation. He didn't invite himself. On the spot. They say, hey. Boy, nice to have you back. Stand up and say something. And so he does. Spontaneous, impromptu. And in the middle of a sermon, he, he tells two old but familiar stories. Two stories that tick them off to high heaven. Oops, I shouldn't have told them. Would it be prudent? But the issue is not prudence here. The issue is truth. And it is the truth that hurts. Those two stories... You know him just as well. Take a look. We're, we're reading the story backwards. So let's go up and pick it, pick it up now at verse 25. Jesus speaking. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elisha's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years. You remember old camel-haired Elijah, as it were, stands. Be, that righteous man of God stands before the, the wily king and he says, Read my lips, no more rain. Three and a half years, 1260 days, 42 months, no rain. Jesus says, hey, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years. And there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. She was poor. She was a Gentile. And yet God chose her over all His chosen ones. Story number two, verse 27. And by the way, Jesus goes on, you remember this? There were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha. Elisha is the inheritor of Elijah's ministry. There were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Naaman. He was a pagan, he was a Gentile, and yet God chose him over all his chosen ones. Two stories, a poor Gentile widow, a pagan Gentile general. Oh, come on, guys, is that enough to kill a guest preacher? Over? Although, considering the preachers are often consumed for Sabbath dinner, I suppose you could make a case for it. But these guys skipped dinner to kill him. What's happening here? Well, I've got to read the story backwards. 
Let's keep going. Because you see, before Jesus uh, told these two stories, he quoted two punchy proverbs. Once you read the Proverbs, you get, you get a little flavor for why the stories have been so edgy. Let's read the Proverbs. We're reading it backwards now. Let's pick it up in verse 23. And Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Hey, doc, cure yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. One more proverb. I tell you the truth. And by the way, that long, that long English phrase is one word in the Greek. Luke uses this word very sparingly. It's the word amen. Now, John will say amen, 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 amen. Luke only uses this word six times. And when he uses the word, anytime the gospel writers use that word, they're saying, hey, hold it. Oh, listen carefully now. Something big is about to be spoken. So Jesus says, amen. See, amen. I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. What's going on here? Two simple little proverbs. Doctor, cure yourself. In other words, why don't you do here? We're your hometown family. Why don't you do here what we've heard you've done elsewhere? Doctor, cure yourself. And prophets are well received except by their hometowns. Now, we've got another proverb in our language today that makes a perfect fit. Familiarity breeds what? Breeds contempt. You see, when you've grown up with a prophet, you expect the prophet to treat you as part of the, the in-group. But the prophets, and this is, I tell you what, this is the bugging problem of prophets from the very beginning. The prophets somehow are not governed, as Robert Tannehill puts it, they're not governed by in-group loyalties. Which is precisely why both Elijah and Elisha find no refuge, solace, or acceptance in their own hometowns. It's tough being a prophet. Which, by the way, is also why a woman writer of a century ago doesn't find much acceptance today in some quarters of her hometown. Or should we say, home church. Familiarity breeds contempt. A prophet is never without honor, except in his hometown. I have a professor friend in a nearby college. Thirty minutes from here, you can get to that college. All right? I got a professor friend. He found out about the writings of this woman of a century ago, and he has become a believer. I have professor friends who are in a, at, in a college much closer than that one. A prophet is never accepted in his hometown. I've been carrying on for a year and a half now. Cyberspace correspondence with a woman I've never met. She's a Jew. She's a psychologist. One day she was on the web. She bumped into our website. She's looking for a site that could tell her about this woman of a century ago. This woman psychologist, she finds the site, our site, reads a book called The Desire of Ages. And this Jewish psychologist, through that single book, has become a believer in Christ as the Messiah through Desire of Ages. I have other doctored friends. However, 
much closer to me. A prophet is not without honor except in her hometown. You know what's really going on here in Nazareth? That, that famed Sabbath morning. And I'll tell you what's going on. It's really simple. Their hometown boy, Jesus, has been going all over the countryside teaching, preaching, and healing. And it really has them miffed that he apparently is being well received in the predominantly Gentile city of Capernaum. Okay, big boy. We've heard all the rumors, followed the gossip. Why don't you put on a little show for your hometown crowd now? Maybe when we see what you can do, we'll believe too. See? <laughs> they are jealous of the fame of one of their own, the fame he's getting away without them and in a city of sinners, police. What's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. You've got to read the story backwards. When you read the story backwards, you get it. Let's keep reading it backwards. Let's go now backwards to uh, verse 22. Because, you know, I, they, they, don't, they don't sound like such a bad lot. Those hometowners in Nazareth. I mean, look, look at this. What's wrong with this? Verse 22. All spoke well of him. And were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Hey, isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. I mean, you know, they sound to me like they're downright proud, don't they? But he must have, you know, he must have said something that has them pleased. Apparently it also has them puzzled. And so let's go keep reading backwards. What is it he has just said? Uh, go, go back now to uh, verse 20. Then he, that would be Jesus, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Back in those days, you sat down when you preached. And I think we could learn something from history. And so he sat down. Now the eyes of everyone in the synagogue are fastened on him, verse 21. And he began by saying to them, get this, Today, today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow, all the people said. Did he, did he say today? Today? You mean right now? Come on. The kid, he's all right today. I mean, today, Messiah. You see, Jesus has just blown him out of the water. Because in that solitary word today, he has laid claim to being the divinely anointed Messiah that is the hunger of every worshiping soul in that synagogue that morning. Today. Hey, shh, did you hear him say, today? Come on, my man. This is Joseph's boy. This is the carpenter's kid. Today, him, the Messiah from Nazareth. Read the story backwards. Go up to verse 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about Him spread throughout the whole countryside. And He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised Him. Out there they love Him to death. In here it's another story as we have just found out. Verse 16. And he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. You know why he went to church on the Sabbath? Because he didn't have campus cable and he couldn't stay in his bed and watch church from there. That's why. 
If he had had campus cable, would he have gone to church? Come on. Of course, as his custom was. He was a church-going young adult. Remind you, what is he, 32, 31? He's a young man. And as his custom was, okay, he showed up in church. And he stood up to read. Now, finishing the rest of verse 16. He stood up to read. Verse 17. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place. He found the place. They didn't say, hey, boy, this is our response to Scripture reading today. Read it for us. No. He said, let me. They handed this Isaiah to me. He said, I'll find what I want to read. I'm the guest preacher today. I'll find it. And he found it. And he read what he found. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And they're sitting there saying to themselves, what is wrong with this picture? I mean, today... You, the Messiah, ministering to the poor and the prisoners and the blind and the oppressed, I thought you were supposed to come in all your glory and power. Where are those 10,000 times 10,000 angels we've been reading about? We're praying for deliverance, not Dorcas. You're talking about sending us into the hell hole. We want to get out of that hell hole. What kind of a Messiah are you anyway? I mean, come on, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, hey, wait, wait a minute. This is Joseph's boy. This is, isn't this Joseph's boy? Yeah, it's Joseph's boy. <laughs> Messiah. Prove it! And just like that, the rest is history because he proves it, proves to be a Messiah, very unlike his hometown's conventional wisdom. And so the story sadly ends where we began, verse 28, and all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this, and they got up, they drove him out of the town, they took him up to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down from the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. The end. Will it be the end for us too? I want to ask the question that we began with just a moment ago. If Jesus were to return today to this town here, would His reception be any different among us? I put that query at the top of your study guide this morning. I want, I want you to get the next query, the next question. Grab your study guide. Where's your study guide? Is it in your bulletin? Good. Okay, ushers, thank you for standing up. Hold your hand up if you came in, three of you, and you got one bulletin. We've got uh, some study guides to spare. Take your study guide out right now, please, because there's a follow-up question. Now, look, at those of you watching on television, you can go to our website. We'll put it on the screen for you, www.pmpioneermemorialpmchurch.org. By the way, I was just visiting with one of our viewers this last week. And the viewer told me that when we come to this moment in the Bible teaching, that viewer goes immediately to the uh, Internet, bing, downloads the study guide and actually fills it out while we're going through the teaching. And so I hope you'll do the same because it's right there on that website. There's a second query, a second question that troubles me. Could it be, would you fill this in please, could it be that just like Nazareth, 
We want Jesus to come for all the, write it in, wrong reasons. You suppose? Keep, keep, keep writing. We want Him to come. Oh, come on. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, come, come. We want Him to come and show up and prove that we are, we are the chosen ones. Write in the two words, chosen ones. We want Him to come up and show, show up and prove that we are the ones who have the truth. Write in the word truth. We want Him to show up and prove that we are the remnant. Oh, if only Jesus would come back and show up so that it can be proven that we have the prophet. If only He would come and prove to the world that we have the Messiah. I ask again, could it be that just like Nazareth, we want Jesus to come along for all the wrong reasons? What's going on with us anyway? Huh? In fact, fill this in. When will it finally dawn upon us that there will be no Messiah's return? Write in the word return. There will be no Messiah's return until there is the Messiah's release. Write in the word release. You say, Dwight, what do you mean release? Well, let's just go back to the teaching here. Uh, Jesus' words quoted from Isaiah 61. Let's go back and read verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To release, there it is, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Hey, did you catch that? To release, to release the oppressed. In fact, write this in, please. To find the broke and the broken and set them free. Right in broke and broken. To find the broken, the broken, and set them free. The poor. We're talking about the prisoners. We're talking about the blind. We're talking about the, the, the oppressed. Nazareth is ticked off to high heaven that their Jesus has been spending more time with lost Capernaum than saved Nazareth. More time, write it in, with Benton Harbor than with Berrien Springs. We're tired of all this emphasis. Just don't like all this talking out there, out there, out there, out there. Put on something in here. Do a show in here. We're paying good money for this. We're the hometown. We're the ones that pay. We're the ones that pay the bill anyway. You put on the show here. Nazareth is ticked. Jesus said it because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor and the prisoners, the broke and the broken. But that's Piner's problem, isn't it? Oh, boy. We don't want the broke and the broken hanging around here. We don't need broken homosexuals in this church. You can just find another place to worship. Thank you. You're too broken for us. We don't deal with that kind of breakage. Find someone else. It amazes me when I hear Christians within my community of faith get up and just with diatribe lambaste sinners of a different stripe than themselves. We don't have time for those broken people. 
We don't need the divorced or broken marriages hanging around this place. Bad influence on the rest of us married folks. So just go on. We don't want people dressing like sluts or gangbangers around here. Tell you what, we allow that pretty soon. We're going to have real prostitutes and crooks in our midst, and that would be terrible. We don't want people, by the way, just let, this, let the word go out. We don't want people with messy addictions becoming a part of us. If you can't get over it, get out. What's the problem with you? You got it out. You addicted to alcohol? Well, go find a 12-step group somewhere else. This is not a place for alcoholics. What do you have? Pornography addiction? You got a sex addiction, don't you? Well, for Pete's sake, never tell anybody here. Because the moment we find out, you are gone. We only allow two addictions in this church and on this campus. Addiction to ego and addiction to work. Everything else is out of here. Yeah, we don't need broken people. You know what? We don't want too many people of a different colored skin to be hanging around here. A few are fine. Gives us a nice cosmopolitan feel. But don't tip our numbers too heavily in that direction or it could hurt us. We don't want the broken. We don't want people who diet differently. We don't want people who dress differently. We don't want people who divorce differently. We don't want people who dance differently. In fact, we prefer you don't dance at all. We don't want people who defend differently. We don't want people who decide differently. Look, at, I have decided what truth is. I know. If you decide different from me, We want a nice, cozy hometown where everybody believes like us, behaves like us, and becomes just like us. You know what, folks? Ladies and gentlemen, please, please think with me. We're doing some thinking now. It is risky business being about our Father's business. Because that's what Jesus is about. To follow the Messiah and His mission will get you in trouble with the authorities one day. Church fathers will sniff and say, enough of that. It's messy. The father's business is messy because people will all of a sudden start crying on you, get their little snotty noses all over you. Break down. Repeat sin. It's ugly. The father's business. But ladies and gentlemen, if we have determined that around here at Andrews University in the Pioneer Memorial Church, we're going to be a church that follows this Jesus, the Messiah, and embraces His mission, then when we throw the doors open, you've got to understand that the very people He has described are going to come through those doors into this community. And it's going to, it's going to not feel very good at all. And you know what? We, I'm just warning you. Because we're on a journey together. We're going to get criticized. There are going to be people who say, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't drop the church standards like that. What are you doing allowing that kind of music? Don't you understand what my taste is? That's it. 
It's, it's going to get messy. But the Father's business was never clean-cut and septic. It's stained, it's smeared, it's people, that's why. And the only... Sometimes, the only voices you hear will be the voices to which Jesus, because He knew His curtains, it's over. He'll be dead by the end of this week. There's no point in trying to beat around the bush now. Jesus says, I want to tell you something, folks. You are like a whitewashed sepulcher. You have beauty on the outside. And you are sick and rotten to the core. The only voices that will get raised up when lost people like this start coming to Jesus and finding a safe refuge and haven here will be voices who are dealing with their own insecurities and hiding their own dead bones. It's not, it's not pretty, guys. And we're going to need each other. Listen to me carefully. We're going to need each other. We need the check and balance that we each bring. But we're following Jesus here to be about our Father's business. I don't suppose it's a sin to be just like us, to make people who are just like us. It's not bad. But we need to realize the kind of church that Jesus is trying to build up. You know what? I'm just going to be very candid with you. I worry sometimes... That we will make our wall of protection so high and so wide that eventually one day we will find ourselves, all of us, outside the wall of our own making. Now that point is significant enough that I put it in the study guide. Fill in the words, would you please? I fear we will build our wall, write in the word wall. I fear we will build our wall of protection so high that one day we'll find all of us outside the wall of our own making. And then we'll be just like hometown Nazareth. Fill it in. Nazareth. Verse 28, and all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove Jesus out of the town. They took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked straight through the crowd and went on his way, which, of course, is exactly what we don't want to have happen here. We can afford for Jesus to come here and then walk straight through us and out of us. Because we didn't get it straight, his mission. Oh God, deliver this hometown from the fate of your first hometown, I pray. You don't have to read the story backwards to know that Luke will spend the rest of his gospel showing that Jesus' hometown got Jesus' life mission backwards instead of frontwards. Final lines to fill. Would you fill them in, please? You see, Jesus came because His, write it in please, His was a mission of inclusion. Bring them in. Bring everybody in. Bring them in. His was a mission of inclusion rather than exclusion. He came to repair rather than reject. He died to embrace rather than exclude. The series will teach us 
That in fact, that is indeed the mission that is our legacy. And the question is, will Jesus' hometown today get his mission right? Or in our zeal, would you write this in your last blank? In our zeal to build a wall to keep us in, will we construct a wall to keep them out? Who are the them? Six billion other earth children that he also loves. And if you can't handle six billion, then how about 20,000 human beings 12 miles up the road in a place called Benton Harbor? I suppose for Jesus it would be a dream come true for us to embrace the Messiah's mission as our own. To embrace an inner city as if it were our hometown. The end. I'm going to push the notes away now before we sing our closing hymn. I want to tell you why I'm so proud of this, uh, this parish and this university. I wish you could have seen this, the assembly. We had departmental assemblies on Thursday and I had the privilege of being invited to come and to share a few words with all the science majors on campus. I wish you could have seen that Thursday. They brought in leaders from Benton Harbor, packed out that amphitheater, 300 kids, 200 kids, I don't know how many. But you know what they're doing? This is what our, science, our scientists on campus are doing. They are now planning a project. They're going into Benton Harbor and they're calling it the Benton Harbor Socrates Project where they take our bright young scientists here, the students, you young adults, and you're going to go in and give a few hours every week to mentor hungry young children whose minds long to discover what you've already found to be true. I'm so proud of our science majors. I mean, look at there is Andrews University at its best. We can't, you know, we don't we don't grow all the grain in the world, but we've got brains and we can let those brains serve a community, a gift of oneself. So all of you science majors, thank you in advance. You've got a training session tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Thank you in advance for going. Thank you for giving of your time. You are what Andrews University is about. I am sure other departments in this university themselves are saying, how can Benton Harbor be on the radar screen of our department? What can we do? Ah, it's a privilege to be in a university like this. Hey, I've got to tell you one more. I got an email from one of our students this week. She said, Dwight, I need to tell you that we have an Andrews University graduate, 22 years old. Her name is Kara. She just graduated this last spring. Do you know what she decided to do? This, this girl is telling me. Do you know what she decided to do? She has taken four kids, four little students from Benton Harbor, four kids who would have ended up in a homeless shelter, and she, single, 22, is taking them to live with her and her sister right here in Berrien Springs. And she is personally paying for the Christian education of these four youngsters from Benton Harbor. Isn't that something? You want to do something? You want to do something that will make you feel good and make a difference in this world? Take a tithe envelope out. Put a donation in that tithe envelope with two letters. B-H, Benton Harbor. We'll make sure Kara gets that money to educate her four little children. 22-year-old Kara, a graduate of Andrews. We'll make sure she gets your partnership. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. The buses are leaving today, 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock. You know what? Last Sabbath there were so many kids. They needed two buses. A little expensive to rent buses at Andrews University. So they could only rent one. They crowded them in the aisles. Crowded and doubled up in the seats. Why? Because we must be about our Father's business. Come on, 3 o'clock this afternoon, you're not doing anything more constructive. And you're saying, listen, I'm not one of the students. We need cars. What do you think we need? We, get, we got the bus. We need cars. Show up, 5 to 3 at Lampson Hall. Oh, Father, please know that's our prayer. That is what we want more than anything else. That we might have the heart of our Savior so that we might be about the business of our Father. A heart that is thrown wide to every human being on behalf of the everlasting Gospel. And so, God, let our hearts be broken by a world's pain. Teach us to share our rich resources so that we might give and give again. In the name of our Messiah, Jesus. Amen.